Hello, shame listeners, and welcome to another episode of the Shameless Picture Show. This is just a little disclaimer before we get into the meat of the episode to let you know that uh, part of our adjustments for COVID as things open and close and open and close and open and close, um, sometimes we've been in a situation where we have to use a less than ideal audio setup. So today's episode is going to be one of those situations where my audio um, is is some earbuds with a little microphone on it, which unfortunately, given the volume of my beard right now, was rubbing slightly <laughs> against my beard, causing some uh, kind of an ASMR vibe to it. I edited out as much as I could, but I couldn't get it all out. Uh, my my audio is a little wonky this time around, but uh, hopefully we'll be back up to our normal technical standards. That being said, let's get right back into the episode, and I'll see you on the other side. Hey, do you like movies? You do? Then I bet you're already very familiar with our friends over at Vinegar Syndrome. Vinegar Syndrome is one of the leading exploitation and grindhouse preservation and distribution companies in the world. The company was started by cinephiles Joe Rubin and Ryan Emerson and was said to be, quote, perhaps the most important home video label in the world of genre film by the Alamo Draft House. Holy shit, that is one hell of an endorsement. A big part of that is because of a three-step process I lovingly refer to as the three R's. Recover, restore, and release. Vinegar Syndrome has an expansive film archive of over 500 feature films, and they also work closely with archival institutions like the Museum of Modern Art, the Academy, yeah, MoMA, the Academy Film Archive, the Library of Congress, UCLA, and the Walker Center. I can't even count how many of their releases have either never gotten a physical release or haven't been seen since the days of VHS. Many of these films look better than they have any right to look. My favorite thing about Vinegar Syndrome is that they have their own in-house lab, which they use to restore these films to all of their glory. I can honestly say that I have never seen any grain reduction or digital trickery on their discs. Vinegar Syndrome was one of our first sponsors, and I'm overjoyed to say that they've stuck with us for five years. I'm still surprised we stuck around for five years, to be completely honest with you. uh, That we've stuck with each other. Yeah, I know. I really thought we'd be done after the first couple months in the first season. We're still keeping, baby! Yeah, we are. So check out their website today to pick up your copies of the Forgotten Jolly Collections 1, 2, and 3. Though one might be out of print, so if you see it, make sure you grab it. Satan's Blood, Fade to Black, a VHS favorite amongst a lot of cinephiles that was uh, unable to be released for a very long time. Taxi Girls, Don Coscarelli's Beastmaster, an HBO late night favorite. The 3D film Silent Madness, and the weirdo French Christmas horror film Dial Code Santa Claus, a.k.a. Deadly Game, and many, many more. Visit them today at VinegarSyndrome.com and let them know that the Shameless Picture Show sent you. That's right, VinegarSyndrome.com for all the cult, horror, exploitation, and vintage porn you could ever want. However much that may be. Yeah, exactly. I haven't seen all of John Carpenter's films yet, but I've done that intentionally. Yeah, he's got a lot. I just saw recently, I think it was last year, 
I watched Prince of Darkness for the first time. Oh my god! If you haven't seen Prince of Darkness, holy! I shit, have it. I is, have not watched it yet. <laughs> that is such a good one. Uh, I didn't even know it was directed by him until I looked it up, and I was like, "That's a Carpenter." So I immediately had to get the Shout Factory and watch that. We did uh, In the Mouth of Madness a couple years ago. I just recently saw that too, actually, this year for that, the first time. That was Insane. my first time seeing in. Uh, Nick, remember when we did In the Mouth of Madness? Yes. That movie just kind of blew me away. <laughs> Yeah. It's so good. It's like it's like nothing. It's really like not like a lot of Carpenter movies. It was so different than what I'm used to um, yeah. from him. And I've still not seen They Live. That's still on my list. Oh, oh my god! Wait, wait. That's on your list. Hold yeah. on. Hold on. Oh shit. Oh shit. Well, I've got two copies of this, so <laughs> this is yours. I have this is my second copy because I got nice. I got uh, I bought this a while back, and then someone was selling one with the slip on one of the groups I'm in, and I'm like, well, I need the slip cover, so I have an extra one. So I will I will shoot this over to you because I have no use for it. Well, fuck! Now we're gonna have to have him on again to talk about they li- Nick. We're gonna have to do a they live episodes. Oh no! Oh no! Um, so spoiler alert for your Christmas present. Here you go. <laughs> I still gotta get you yours. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, this is a this is a great one. Roddy Piper's in this, and he's uh, he's freaking awesome. This Nick, movie. have you seen it? I have not. Uh-uh. Um, though I'm curious, in this so particular good. role, how rowdy is he? He's pretty fucking rowdy. I mean, this is where okay. the iconic line from uh, what is it? I'm here to kick ass and chew bubble gum, and I'm all out of bubble yes. gum. That's where this yep. comes from. I think that's right, but or it, at least that's where I heard it from. <laughs> has anyone here besides me seen uh, Hell Comes to Frogtown? No, no, that was on the Joe Bob. Um, so uh, he, he did that. I haven't seen Hell it Comes though. to Frogtown stars Rowdy Roddy Piper. Nick, I might have told you about this. I think you I might have talked about it on the show. Rowdy Roddy Piper play. So it takes place in a post-apocalyptic future where it's a matriarchal society. And for the most in this and society is dying because all men have become sterile. Except for Rowdy Roddy Piper is the most potent <laughs> man on the planet. <laughs> Uh, and they, the, this group of women essentially capture him and cause he's a criminal as well and say, uh, you know, it's like, okay, we can, you, we can either just kill you right now, or you can help us save this woman who's been, who's been captured and along the way, help impregnate people to help kickstart the population. And the entire time he's wearing this crazy chastity belt that if he goes too far away, will blow off his dick. Oh shit! Oh, and like oh, you hear a title like "Hell Comes to Frogtown," you start you just imagine like, "Oh, Frogtown." That's a cheeky name for like probably a rough town. No, there's literal human like frog creatures. Like they get there, I'm like, they, it's like they literally told me what to expect, and yet I'm still sitting here surprised. In disbelief. Oh, and the title is great because you're like, "Hell Comes to Frogtown." You're like, "Oh, he's gonna have like it's gonna be like a battle or a brawl." No, his name is Sam Hell. So Hell literally oh, goes to Frogtown. Okay. <laughs> All right. They give the game away in the in the title, and you don't even realize. I know it. those are my favorite titles, though. My favorite titles are movies that are so on the nose that you know exactly what they're about. Like, like, uh, bring me the head of Alfredo Garcia. Alfredo Garcia is gonna lose his fucking head. I, I love on the nose titles. Warning: This movie podcast actually discusses movies. Be aware that it may discuss any of the following elements. Endings, surprise twists, unexpected cameos, and all manner of spoilers. Without further ado, please enjoy our feature presentation, The Shameless Picture Show. 
Hello and welcome to another episode of the Shameless Picture Show. I am Michael Byers and with me as always is a man whose goal is to become the first insect politician. Nick Richards, vote for me. <laughs> Today, I mean buzz. we have a very special double feature episode of the show, but we also have a very special guest. Joining us today is Austin Proctor, who is best known for his podcast, Fright Mares, which is a weekly horror podcast where Austin's goal, much like our own, is to touch on all the little hidden gems the horror genre has to offer, and he loves finding movies he hasn't seen. That was the best intro I think anyone's ever given me uh, ever, so thank you for that. It's good to be here. Good to be here talking about some awesome movies today, for sure. I, I try. I try. And then every every episode of Nick, I always find a different quote from a movie to describe him. I like the insect politician. You have my vote 100%. Yes! <laughs> so, as I said before, today we're doing an insect double feature where we discuss both ver- well, two versions of... The Fly. The first, from 1958, opens in the Delambre Frere Electronics Company as the night watchman hears some strange noises and finds a crush, finds a man crushed in a giant press. The body is of André Delambre, a scientist who founded this company along with his brother Gaston. The inspectors notice that André's head and hand are crushed. But why? Francois wants to know what happened to his brother, and as he speaks of André's wife, Helen... We find out Andre has been working on teleportation, but it's had some ghastly repercussions that leads all involved down a road of mystery, horror, and insects. The film stars Vincent Price, Herbert Marshall, Al Haddison, and Patricia Owens. It was directed by Kurt Newman from a screenplay by James Clavel, based on the short story by George Langelan, with music by, Sa- by Paul Sawtell and cinematography by Carl Struss. Will everyone in the theater hold on firmly to his seat? Please. Stop it! Stop it! I'm Vincent Price. What unearthly horror did that girl gaze upon? What manner of incredible thing walked beneath that hood? It would be unfair at this time to show you any more of what went on in that laboratory where a man actually dared to play God. So fantastic, words can't begin to describe it. You must see it with your own eyes to believe it when the fly comes your way. Charge can only be murdered. There were no mistresses. I had no lovers. Why did you kill him? God, don't let it get out. Inspector, Inspector, it's in the garden. Come quickly. As God is my witness, I saw the thing. It's unbelievable. I shall never forget that scream as long as I live. The fly is on its way. Watch out for it. It's far beyond anything your mind could ever conceive. And the 1986 remake 
has a very similar plot, but is a little bit more focused on the horror over the mystery. Seth Brundle, a brilliant scientist, meets Veronica Quaife at a press junket. Everyone at this event is very dull, but something about Seth impresses her. In what seems like a pickup line, Seth invites Veronica back to his lab to show her what he's working on, and it's astounding. Much like Andre Delambre, Seth Brundle has created a device to teleport mortar. Can't to teleport matter from one place to another. He can and to teleport Michael's words. From this is the this is the longest I've gone without fucking up. He can teleport inanimate objects fine, but the machine mutates live tissue. As Seth works to figure out this riddle, him and Veronica fall in love. But right as Seth feels he's on the pre- precipice of greatness. A Little Fly Ruins Everything. The film stars Jeff Goldblum, Gina Davis, and John Getz. It was directed by David Cronenberg from a screenplay written by both Cronenberg and Charles Edward Pogue. And based on the same short story, the film features a wonderful score by Howard Shore with cinematography by Mark Irwin. I think you're making a mistake. I think you really want to talk to me. Sorry, I have three other interviews to do before this party's over. Yeah, but they're not working on something that'll change the world as we know it. They say they are. Yeah, but they're lying. There is a limit, even to the imagination. Human teleportation, molecular decimation, breakdown, and reformation is inherently purging. Where our greatest creations meet our deepest fears. Something went wrong, Seth. When you went through, something went wrong. You are about to go beyond that limit. Those weird hairs that were growing out of your back, I had them analyzed. But they were definitely not human. If you saw how scared and angry and desperate he is... I'm sure Typhoid Mary was a very nice person, too, when you saw her socially. No! You're afraid to be destroyed and recreated, aren't you? You're changing, Seth. Everything about you is changing. Oh, no. What's happening to me? Am I dying? I want to know what's going on. What does the disease want? It wants to turn me into something else. Oh, no. A fly got into the transmitter pod with me that first time when I was alone. Don't go back to it. It could be contagious. Uh, I'm afraid! Don't be afraid! No. Be afraid. Be very afraid. That was man. Those were some great trailers. I loved watching. That was one of my more succinct intros. Yeah, It's always hard when you do a remake because the like, especially when the films have similar plots. Like, what do you do? So as I said before, this is my first time seeing the 1958 version of The Fly, and first time sitting down and watching Cronenberg's version all the way through. Um, But I guess let's go to you guys. Um, What did you both think of the film? Who wants to start? I'll hand it off to, to Austin Oh, shit. First. Okay. All right. Um, so the original I had never seen as well, and I wasn't sure what to expect because I had seen Cronenberg's, um, you know, a couple of years ago. And Cronenberg obviously is very goopy. It's very, <laughs> yes. it's very disgusting. Um, 
So, and I knew it was a remake for a while, but going to watch the 50s, I was blown away by the one from the original. Like, honestly, uh, I feel like it was way ahead of its time, in my opinion, because, you know, a lot of stuff in that time, not to downplay any of the monster movies going on in that time, you know, all, those movies are all great, but this just seems so far ahead of its time to me. And it was quite enjoyable watching that one second, you know, and watching Cronenberg's first, because, you know, you're going back 30 something years. That's and the order did, I did. Yeah, and what they did back in 50, what was it, 56, 58, you said? Yeah, uh, 58. Blown away. I could not believe what they were pulling off uh, in that in that decade. That I was very impressed. And I think they play off each other very well because while they do have similar aspects, the story itself is almost completely different because you have like a kind of like a murder mystery going on in the original. And this one is just Seth Brundle as a scientist having um, Ver Veronica, that's her name, right? Veronica, yep. Do like you know keeping tabs on what he's doing, so they're wildly different, but a lot of they keep a lot of the same beats. Um, they they f as you know yeah it's it's very interesting honestly. They focused it quite a bit. They 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 pretty much like it's very much like my favorite type of remake where you could Cronenberg uh, sat down and watched and figured out what he liked about it, and just kind of stuck with with that. But I will say the mystery even worked pretty well because, like at the beginning of the film, you see, you know, Francois in the in the machine and his head's destroyed and his hands destroyed, and the entire time, I'm like, how the fuck is this gonna lead into someone becoming a fly? And then I was like, does he become a fly? Like, <laughs> and I was, and it started off so differently. I'm like, okay, this is some murder mystery thing. I don't, I don't get how this is gonna go into the whole story that I know um, about the fly. So yeah, I thought that was, I thought that was quite interesting as well. Nick, what did you think of both versions of The Fly? Um, I, I think I had a bit of a different reaction, and after hearing your reactions to it, I think it might be in part because of the order that I watched. I watched them in the opposite order. Oh, um, okay. Now, I, I had not seen either of these films, so I was reacting to the same, like, there, there are some narrative did, real, similarities. Real quick, did you know what the movie was them. about before you watched it? Yes, okay, uh, okay. Be because of The Simpsons. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a pretty solid little remake of the show. <laughs> yeah. Hey, Dad, can I use a transporter sometime? Please, I swear I'll be careful. Sorry, but this is a highly sophisticated do-wacky. If you don't use it responsibly, kablamo! Ow, someone just punched me in the face. It's your mother. <laughs> the... the... Uh, Treehouse of Horrors are like you. If you've seen those, you've seen every sci-fi slash horror slash whatever. Mm -hmm. Fill in the blank. Um, so, um, that totally. Now I'm thinking about The Simpsons and lost my train of thought. <laughs> <clears throat> um, I the the biggest difference between the two that intrigued me was kind of the the story framing devices. And the differences in protagonists and like main characters and heroes between the two, where the first one is the story of the wife. Yeah. Um, and and truly like the while necessary for the for the plot, the the scientist that turns into a fly had very little to do with it, narratively speaking. Like he was locked down in the basement most of the time not interact like he he had such little screen time yeah um whereas the remake put that character front and center and it was his story um so yeah watching the the remake was a very different experience for me 
Did, would you, did you prefer one or the other? No, they're so different. I, 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 it's an apples and oranges comparison. I enjoyed them both for very different reasons. That's kind of where I was at. I feel like the the remake might be a touch more accessible. Like, if I just want to put something mindless on, um, the remake is good for that reason. Um, however, there is a... <laughs> when, uh, watching it, and I was watching it with my wife, Amanda... Uh, she had never seen it either, and at the time, and actually might even still be true, she, I think she said it was the most disgusting film she'd ever seen, which I find, you know, kind of charming. It's very doopy. Yeah. Has she seen Dead Alive? Yes, we actually watched that one, and that one... Is she... Really? Well, I, okay. Dead Alive is goopy and over the... But I think it, it being over the top kind of like... Yeah, that's true, that's I think kind of desensitizes you. Like, The Fly plays it all seriously. That's true, and, also, and then the build-up to the final creature is is quite quite slow. You know, it's a very gradual step up to the goopiness, as it was supposed to Dead Alive, where it's just kind of crazy from the from the get-go. Yeah, and like I will say too, it's like I feel like he's 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 become like a living and walking meme over the last couple of years. But <laughs> but can we just talk in about the best how way possible how how good Jeff Goldblum was in this movie? Right. Oh, it's one of my favorite performances of him. He's so I sometimes and forget, zany. But yet in a very grounded and realistic... Because, like, you know, you watch that show on Disney+, Plus. you know, like, uh, The World According to Jeff Goldblum. It's like, he's just <laughs> being Jeff Goldblum. But, yeah. like, I sometimes forget that he could do a performance where he's not just Jeff Goldblum. <laughs> well, and, and the performance was very similar to the other sci-fi remake... In from this era that he starred in Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Oh shit, he was in that, wasn't he? Yeah, so like another old sci-fi film from that same era, rebooted. I think these films came out about three or four years apart, uh, uh, if I remember correctly. Uh, about eight. Uh, oh, was it that much? Okay. It's not far off, though. Um. So yeah, no, it, I got a lot of Invasion of the Body Snatchers vibes watching uh the the remake of the fly yeah like i said i was just i was just really impressed like and like gina davis i feel like she's a a person i grew up with like she was just in so much stuff in the 90s and then she kind of like she just disappeared like it's 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 strange I think she's she did a lead of their own, and then she's like, "Well, I'm you know, think, <laughs> I'm done." Look at this run. She did, she did the fly. She did Beetlejuice. And granted, there's time in between that. She did Thelma and Louise, a league of their own. Um, she did the Long Kiss Goodnight, which is a fucking cool movie if anyone's seen it. <laughs> and then you know she she's been doing. I think she did the Stuart Little movies, and then she's hell just yeah, Stuart Little kind yeah. of around. Like she's <laughs> been house. doing stuff, but it's like it's very much like maybe one movie every other year okay but like she was super good in this film yeah it's funny you say that though because yeah i'm looking at gina davis on imdb and 50 51 um credits for acting so yeah she's done so much but really yeah she's kind of did just kind of fizzle off after a while which is sad because i like watching she's great yeah it was a a concentrated career she did a lot and you know it wasn't uh it's a lot of titles for that small of a window that she was working right. so regularly. And yeah. and what what I liked so much because like normally this is a complaint I have in 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 movies. Anytime there's like supposed to be like a a romance where they're just supposed to like we're just supposed to buy that they fall for each other 
right away. And it really comes down to the performance, whether or not I believe that. And like with them, it, it you know, the, it, Jeff Goldblum's character, Seth, was pursuing her and, and she wasn't necessarily not interested. But I think the way that they they not only played off each other, but the way the script was written, where it started off as just like purely like a scientific like she wants to be at the forefront to this and like i believed their build where the by the end that she she loved him even though he was a disgusting fly man <laughs> i yeah. i think i have a hot take on on their relationship oh, shit. that is going to be different than how most people interpreted it um which is going to be the exact opposite dynamic as the two of us talking about uh swiss army man I actually think Jeff Goldblum was kind of toxic from the beginning. I can see and, that. <laughs> and she should have taken every opportunity. Like, there, there were plenty of times where it's like, go, girl, go, get out of here. He's not a monster because he turned into a, the fly. Like, he was already problematic before that. And the, fly, but, the flyness of him just brought it out more, is what you're trying to yeah, say. Yeah, it, it was an exterior manifestation of the problems that he had within himself i can tell you right now that i see that exactly because uh there's a moment when he wants her to go into the telepods and she's yep. like no i don't want to go and then he tries to like forcibly go, put go, her into go. the telepods it's like yeah that's yep. red yes. flag number one you need to uh, like that is that is force he's using force no 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 yeah Time yeah to go. and it was definitely <laughs> at that point go. where i was like okay he is not a he, i don't i don't like what he's becoming and then I was also well, like, why would you try to feed her a steak that you teleported? Like, that's gross. <laughs> that's just, if, yeah, I don't, I don't want to eat that. <laughs> if that was the first example of it in the story, then I could have been very easily convinced that it was as a result of these changes that were happening in him. So, But prior to him teleporting, he got, re like, really aggressively jealous about her, like her boss, yeah, who she yeah. did have a previous relationship with. But the way he acted about that was really, in a, like, he flew off the handle really inappropriately in a way that I think we've kind of been taught by the films and TV shows that we grew up with to think of that as, like, normal relationship reaction. But it's not. It's fucked up. And then, <laughs> and, and so because of that evidence in the story, I would say it's not just a result of the changes in his biology that caused him to then try and force her into the teleporter against her will. So I got, I got two questions. Oh, uh, well, one's more of a thought. Like one's more just a declarative statement, and the other one's a question. The question is, Nick. Uh, well, first, I guess I'll start with the statement. Who would have thought by the end the 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 rapey boss would be the guy that I'm cheering for? <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and then two. At what point, Nick, while watching this film? Because I'm legit. It's been a while. I have not got a chance to rewatch this since before this episode. And yeah. I uh, and I. I believe everything you're saying is, is probably there. I just, I'm probably just misremembering. At what point did, were you like, fuck Seth Brundle? Like, what was, what was your moment that you were like, <laughs> it's so early in the film. Was that the party? So How early. early was it? It's when they got back to his place to his after oh the party. And, oh man. That was and, so early. <laughs> That's like 10, and he was like, minutes. Welcome to my place. And she was like, yeah, all right, let's start this interview because clearly I'm a reporter and you're a scientist and we're going to be talking about this project that you were pitching to me. He's like, oh, no, we can't talk about that. 
I brought you over here to canoodle, which is fine. But once there's a misunderstanding, then it's like, okay, I see where That's the miscommunication fair. here That's is. Fair. This is actually a secret project. I'm not willing to talk about it. I apologize. I wasn't clear about it. No, he's like, yeah, nope, you don't see all this really cool stuff. Nope, that's we're just going to get it on. <laughs> that, from that point, I'm like, mm, I'm not sure about this guy. And then again, <laughs> there were more examples that continued to support this theory. Oh, shit. <laughs> That's an interesting take. I, I I'm really I like it though. I because I, I didn't I didn't get that at all. But now that you mention it, I'm like shit. That is go, go that back is all true. The, this is me rewatching Ghostbusters <laughs> after Michael is like I Vangman ruined Ghostbusters. Is creepy for as hell. I'm like, oh my god, he is what? <laughs> so is it almost poetic that in a sense he was he was pretty much already a monster in your eyes that yes. he, he actually turned into a monster. That's like yep. poetic justice almost. Absolutely, <laughs> and. And at, at the risk of victim blaming, which isn't cool, but like the whole time I'm yelling at her to get out of there and she keeps, I can help you. Like he's being a dick to you. Get out of there. And she keeps coming back yeah. over and over and over again. Yeah. And by the end, I'm like, just fucking take her. <laughs> Nick, you're hundred percent right. I think the reason I didn't notice it or like, you know, when I watched, it, I might've been like, Oh, that was creepy. And then just not thought about anything is because like you said, movies, which, you know, primarily written by dudes, uh, have yep. have trained us to think that this is just what happens. Yes, uh, this is what happens in relationships. I, I, you get jealous, you fly off the handle, she forgives you, you turn into a fly monster, and then you try <laughs> and merge your DNA back together for the sake of your baby. So, and what I also find interesting is this film was co-written, <laughs> co-written by David Cronenberg and... Uh, Charles Edward Pogue. Charles Edward Pogue, for those of you who don't know, he most notably wrote um, Psycho 3. He didn't do a whole lot. Um, but um, it's... And the fairy tale of New York. The... Nope, that's a different Pogue. <laughs> that's a good reference, Nick. I got that. <laughs> Thank you. Um, but it was, it was written by uh, David Cronenberg as well. And I don't know what each person's contributions were. But David Cronenberg does have a career of of writing his own writing his own scripts, and me and Amanda is in a uh, a horror analysis class where she's had to watch she's had to read a lot of like think pieces about like David Cronenberg, and she had to rewatch Shivers, which is a movie that we both had a visceral reaction against, and. Especially now, Nick, with you talking about it this way, I almost wonder if, one, if David Pogue, sorry, Charles Edward Pogue, if he softened this movie, if, like, any of the stuff that was more, like, romantic or, like, human, if it came from him, because I honestly truly don't believe that David Cronenberg understands sex. <laughs> made very evident by every single one of his films is when a man and a woman love each other very much <laughs> like it's very much it's, it's this is what happens it's very much all of his movies are like are about sex in a lot of ways but it really comes it almost feels like it's coming from a person who doesn't truly understand like he thinks it's disgusting and is trying to show it in the most disgusting way um <laughs> and you know you watch things like videodrome or you watch you know shivers or or this film and you're like fuck i just don't think you understand how relationships work and i don't think you understand how sex works because like now that you're bringing up like all these new perspectives of it i'm like uh, of this film is like 
Yeah, I I've can seen see this it. before in his work. Yeah, I was like, oh, mm-hmm. damn. I this makes all complete sense. I just don't think you understand sex, David Cron, or like his movie <laughs> Crash. Have, have you guys ever seen Crash? I, you know, it's, I haven't seen much of his work. Crash, it, which he wrote and directed, is a movie about people who get sexually aroused by car crashes. Okay, no. You would remember it. Yeah. You would remember that. Yeah. What the heck? Or like Videodrome, <laughs> which I actually do love. You know, this guy grows a giant chest vagina and then... That was crazy. For anyone listening, Holy language. Shit. He grows a giant chest vagina, then his arm turns into a weird skin handgun, and he fingers himself with it. It's like, David Cronenberg, what are you working through? <laughs> yeah. That, that had to have been... That's, that's all for him right there. You need therapy, and you need it now. Filmmaking's just you, therapy. David <laughs> Filmmaking's just therapy. <laughs> So oh, you bring so, you bringing this up like it's like ah oh, fuck this makes sense. <laughs> I did have those issues, but there was a lot of good. I actually and I don't I don't know the source material well enough to speak intelligently about it, but I know enough to believe that there's a lot of uh, metamorphosis uh, reference or or inspiration in the remake. Uh, is that I think Nietzsche. Nietzsche, Nietzsche, Nietzsche. Doesn't he have like that quote about God or some shit? Yeah, it's. I believe again. I haven't. I have not read it. I am far from an expert on this, but I believe it's the story of a man turning into a cockroach. Cool. Oh. Um, which again, like in the original Fly, um, you didn't see that. Like it was. You see the scientist, and then boom, he's a has a towel over his head and he's fly monster whereas here we we watch him devolve or evolve depending on your perspective um into this other thing and we're seeing the whole thing through his eyes um so uh, i'd be i like watching the jeff goldblum fly or the cronenberg fly makes me want to read metamorphosis to like see how many connections there are between the two you're such a nerd i love it (laughs) Thank you. I thought you meant we were originally talking about like the source material, as in like George Langolin's book, because like I I did a I I haven't read George Langolin's book, um, but I did read a synopsis. Uh, Is that what is uh, again? I'm I'm I am not intelligent. I can just fake it every once in a while. Yeah, George. So the the stories of the fly are based on George Langolin's book or short story and i read a brief synopsis and it actually looks like the original version of the fly the the vincent price you know kurt newman version follows that story pretty closely and kafka not Nietzsche. kafka oh okay then yeah i've heard of that i've heard of metamorphosis i've not read it i'm thinking so here here's a wikipedia synopsis Tells the story of salesman Gregor Samsa, who waits one morning to find himself inexplicably transformed into a huge insect. Hmm, cool. And subsequently struggles to adjust to this new condition. Well, I imagine that'd be kind of hard to, you know, just understand. And I imagine you <laughs> wouldn't be, be able to be very confused. with it. Yeah. <laughs> so we... And in, in popular culture and adaptations, it's commonly depicted as a cockroach. Okay. There you go. So I wouldn't be surprised then if if George Langolin was inspired by that because I feel like Kafka wrote 
that probably earlier than George Langlin did because yeah, the fly 1915. Yeah, well, the fly Thank the you, Wikipedia the short story for the fly didn't come up until 1957. So <laughs> there definitely is probably some. I also wouldn't be surprised because um, I do know Cronenberg is, is is relatively well read. I wouldn't be surprised if he's pulling pulling from it. Sure. Um, yep. Because like I said, the 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 from based on the synopsis that I read for the George Langlin short story, the original film follows it a lot more closely. And I definitely want to talk about like things that I really liked about the original film. But one, I will say. It, I was struggling to get into it at first because it had a really phenomenal beginning. It had a really phenomenal ending. Some of the stuff in the middle, like it's once, like once I, once we realized that, Oh, most of this movie is just going to be one long flashback. That was it. It it felt like a lot of exposition bookended by like stellar whodunit and, and, um, don't take the wrong person kind of, you know, murder mystery. Yeah. And, and I'll, though I must say I'm a sucker for that type of framing device. So, uh, I like the two. I, I, it's just, it's one of those things that I, I have to like be in the mood for, for lack of a better term, yeah. uh, because it, it definitely does have a different tone to it, a different, you know, um, but, and I almost feel like, granted, I get it, but I feel like Vincent Price was wasted in this film. I feel like he's barely he's in barely it. in it, and he's so much better, in my opinion, than David Hedison, who played Andre. Like, and that you know, and that's saying something because fucking, I think uh, David Hedison was a was a Bond villain. He played Blofeld, I believe. Okay. Um, but I just I I, I anytime that Andre was on camera, I'm like, man, why don't we just you know get. Vincent Price back. And he could play his twin brother. He could play both roles. He's that good. <laughs> he should. He should. And actually, I was wrong. For the for the Bond fans out there, uh, uh, David Hedison played Felix Leiter, not Blofeld. I was mistaken. Ultimately, what I, what I want to get around to is I, I truly thought... I was actually surprised by how good the effects were in the original 50s version. And also, like how much that ending stuck with me like that ending legitimately bothered me (laughs) in a way that sorry continue the the performances of both vincent price and uh i i don't know the actor but the kind of the the inspector who was who was making all of these decisions when when they realized what was happening and they're like uh yeah so we're just going to let her go and not talk about this, right? It's a, it's actually a really weak way to end the film, but their performances completely sold it in that moment. It's like, ooh, all that stuff that we were doing that would be the logical way to handle this, yeah, we just let's just not tell anybody. <laughs> this is just too <laughs> fucked up. Yeah, we're, we're just going to let this go. <laughs> but I bought it. Like the, the two of them sold it and made that ending work. Yeah. Yeah, and then like just the, the the just the pure fucking creepiness of of um, Andre, who I guess we should assume is Andre, um, being the little fly man in the end was just fucking bothered me. 
and then just like and just like and like the tension they built up with the spider coming to legitimately just eat him alive and yeah. you know the, the inspector like what and then very last minute like spats the the spider away and then like the, the rest of the film because like we got used to seeing andre you know we got to, we got used to seeing the the half fly half man but not the half man half fly like you know it's it's that's what the one thing the simpsons version actually did that the the gold boom version did not where when the molecules got split there's two of them right, you know there's the yeah. fly that's part man and then there's the man that's part fly and so like in, looking back it's like throughout the movie and um i think her name was helen helen her like constant freakouts anytime someone swatted at a fly i'm like oh i get it now i get right. it. it they they set up this and you know it, it it is a bit of a victim of its times and they're portraying the role of the hysterical woman but they actually did that character a little bit of justice by like then showing you why she was acting that way um, which again speaks to kind of what Austin was saying about how it was ahead of its time and it was not uncommon in this era to show hysterical women being hysterical because of their vaginas and not because <laughs> like they genuinely went through something horrific. Yeah, like they do they have emotions that are validated and I like how <laughs> right. yeah, how they how they did that, how they didn't she wasn't crazy. They and they give it away too kind of a little bit in the beginning when someone swats at a fly, a fly and she freaks out and you're like, why are you freaking out? And yeah. then as you go on, you're like, oh yeah. yeah, this is completely validated. I understand. Yeah. So I, I did like that they did that. That was, that was cool. She was an interesting character too because like I, I love too that, you know, the entire time that Vincent Price is trying to white knight her this entire time and I love when when the inspector was like, "Well, I think she killed her husband," and Vincent Price's character is like, "She could never have handled the machinery," and she very calmly and coolly says, "You pull the thing, you do this, you do this," and be like, "Fuck, oh shit, <laughs> you're not helping your case, lady." But that was it's just like I, I I appreciate that you know the entire time he's like, "A woman couldn't handle this machinery," and she was like, "The fuck, I can't." I know this may implicate me for murder, but how dare you? <laughs> First of all, okay. <laughs> so, like, I appreciated that. Like, I, I appreciated that, you know, they, it, like, Nick, as you said, it was definitely a, it was of its time, but it was doing some, some different things. Like, uh, makeup effects like this weren't really seen. Yeah. Um, hell, there was blood it, at the beginning of the film. That surprised yeah. me. I Dude, think, I, that threw me way off. I was like, whoa, 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 there's a whole <laughs> bunch of blood? What the, uh, this is not normal. <laughs> I think that if you take it, in the context of the era that it was made, it was quite progressive. Yeah. And, like, it, it yeah. was a huge hit. Like, um, for for Kurt Newman, Kurt Newman was kind of a journeyman director, uh, originally from Germany. I don't know his career super well. Um, but he had been directing films since 1933. You know, had oh, wow. done some, like, he had done a lot of uh, genre fic pictures. I think he did a Tarzan picture somewhere in there. Actually, I think he did a couple Tarzan, Tarzan films. This was, like, I think his last movie, and he died, like, a week after it came out and never realized yeah, yeah. that this was, like, the biggest hit of his career. Yeah, it was. I saw somewhere in trivia that it was, like, yeah, this was the biggest hit, but he would never know because I think it was, like, about a week later that he passed away, so he didn't even get to see the success of, from this movie. You know what I mean? Like, how, how good it did. Yeah, because, like, this is kind of uh, sad. Yeah, because... Not unlike the story of... Um, 
uh, the musical Rent, which is a tip, the film Tip, Tip, Boom is about to come out, which is about uh, the guy that uh, wrote that and died like on opening night, I think. Oh, geez. That's crazy. Yeah, that's, cra- that's insane. <laughs> but like, but this film did really well. Like, gr- granted, I'm I'm using Wikipedia as my source for these numbers, but you know, the the movie is made from anywhere from three hundred to four hundred thousand dollars. Made fucking three million, which in 1958 Ooh. ain't nothing. Um, that was a lot of fucking money. And you know, the biggest thing that people had to say about it, uh, you know, is that not not all the questions were answered, and but. People actually thought this movie was revolting. So it actually makes sense, the movie that David Cronenberg would go on to and essentially do the same thing over again. But it it captured people's imaginations to the point where they made two sequels. Granted, significantly less money. You know, the the first film was shot in that beautiful wide... Cinemascope widescreen with a deluxe color, which was kind of like a, a later version of Technicolor. Um... It had like a, you know, uh, back at the time, it had like a stereo soundtrack, which movies didn't really have surround sound back in the day. And then when they made the sequel, it was made, they, they were like, this movie did a lot of well. Did, I'm sorry, this movie did, did a lot of well. <laughs> a lot of well. <laughs> this movie did very well, and let's let's do another one, but let's give them less money. So the next one is shot in like 4-3. It's black and white, and it's... Oh, wow. You know, they, they brought Vincent Price back, but... And, gave him more to do but it's like they didn't like this movie did really well but we don't want to spend any money on it i'm actually surprised the first one was made for as much money as they did and then so they made the second one return of the fly for like two hundred thousand dollars instead of the three to four and then curse of the fly came out and they only gave it like ninety thousand dollars and that one's i'm looking at the the back of the covers here because i have the fly collection yeah Black and white. That seems kind of like a step backwards yeah. after you already had gorgeous color. <laughs> like, I did not even realize yeah. that. Yeah. So. Huh. It's like the the Disney formula in the like eighties and nineties when they'd have a big hit, and it's like, all right, let's do a direct-to-video version of it for a fraction of the cost with none of the named actors because people will buy it simply because they like the first one. They did that. Pocahontas 2, yeah, yeah. fucking Lion King 1 oh, and a half. Ala- like they did that guys. with Aladdin. Like I think the one yeah. they did right after Aladdin, instead of doing a proper sequel, they made like, it was either Aladdin, Prince of Thieves or something like that. Uh, and what's super funny about it is obviously they couldn't get Robin Williams back. So they hired instead Dan Castellenta who best known as doing the voice of Homer Simpson. So it sounds like Homer Simpson doing a doing oh a Robin God. Williams impression. Oh, God. Do yourselves oh. a favor. Actually, <laughs> fuck it. You guys talk amongst yourselves. I'm going to play this for you. What? Kidding. Did you miss me? Be honest. Take care of these, my good mammal. Careful, they're heavy. Hang on, I got souvenirs for everybody. Ooh, she dances. You saw the whole world already? It's a small world after all. But Agrabah has something that no other place in the world has. 
So yeah, it's like I said, it's legitimately just Homer Simpson doing. <laughs> so, but yeah, that's pretty much it. That like you said, this is the oh, Disney shit. formula. That's what they like. Yeah. Oh, studios, and even to this day, they're kind of. It, I think it's getting better. It, it, but like, studios hated horror films. Like, oh, this made money. Uh, let's. I guess let's give them another one. And, yeah. Right. <laughs> and it's you know like I said, it's getting better now. Like the fact that horror sequels like the conjuring or whatever are getting such so much money in their budgets is insane um but it was it, but hell even the even cronenberg's remake cronenberg's remake got a sequel and it was like a fraction of the budget yeah and i i think i've seen bits and pieces of it i think i remember liking it it it's got a it's it's uh, it starts Eric, it starts Eric Stoltz, which is funny. You know, two I can think of two Eric Stoltz <laughs> movies now where he's hideous. Um, <laughs> uh, it was written by uh, Mick Garris and Frank Darabont, so you know it had some people behind it. But you know, it's it's significantly smaller budget. Like, yeah, it kind of sucks. <laughs> like, well, I mean, I mean, I don't what mean the necessarily the movie of, uh... sucks. It just like, it sucks that they they that care the so little. Yeah, yeah. It's what was the budget friend. of the original? Do we the know that? The budget, once again, keep in mind, it's in, it's Wikipedia. It's they estimated anywhere from nine to fifteen million. It made sixty oh, yeah. million dollars. Um, okay. I don't. I've got to do some digging to see if I can like box office mojo the fly two. The fly two only made thirty eight point nine million. Okay. Which, but um, so not bad. Not but... bad, but not great. Unfortunately, I don't. I can't see what the budget was. Yeah, I don't. I'm not finding any. Uh, but I can tell you, it ain't nine million dollars. <laughs> no. I would say probably <laughs> uh, just general guesstimate three to five. I was gonna say yeah, maybe half of what the uh, the original was. They probably took all the profits they made from the 1958 fly and said, "Do something with this." <laughs> <laughs> fly two, back in the habit. <laughs> Flying again. <laughs> Flying again. <laughs> That'd be great. <laughs> I'd, I'd, I'd watch Whoopi Goldberg in the Fly movie. <laughs> right? See, it's not, it's not, not, not too bad of an idea there. So Nick, Nick, I know you said when we were about to do this last time, you had a bunch of notes. What else is on your notes, Nick? What else do you want to talk about? Bring up a discussion, so I, okay. so I can stop talking about budgets. Okay. Yes, as thrilling as that is for the audience. You gotta um, have more hot takes. That, that first, that first one, one was, was good. very and good. Then it led Unfortunately, into, that was my best. It, it, but, it led um, into Cronenberg not understanding sex, and <laughs> <laughs> but I would like to talk about. Um, I, I think the first film is another one of those really great examples of the difference between a protagonist and a main character, mm-hmm. um, because the, the, the wife of the fly was the main character, but the scientist that turned into the fly was the protagonist. He was the one moving the story forward while it was always all being told from her perspective. Yeah. Um, and, and while my idea of a hero doesn't always... The hero is less easily defined as protagonist and main character are... Um, I would say that the kid might be the hero. He was the one from the beginning. Like, I caught the fly. I saved the day. You let that out. Okay. Now go catch the fly. And the kid, like, the kid is always the one there to like, okay, I'm going to do it. I got it. 
Oh, I'll fix this. He was the one that found the flying the spider yeah, web you're, at you're the end. Correct. If if he didn't see that, then the like they wouldn't. Then his mom would yep. be in an asylum. And I remember the kids saying to it came to the film was like, "Oh, I caught a fly with a white head," and they're yep. like, eh, "Get okay. out of here, kid! Go go, yeah. go release it into the yard." And I'm sitting over here being like, "Kid caught a fly without killing it. <laughs> right? Impressive." That's lightning quick, man. Especially one that's quick. half human. Yeah. <laughs> I also love that the idea that the, the fly is half human, but yet didn't make getting caught any easier. <laughs> it's the fly brain. It's like, oh, scurry. Was <laughs> 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 that in your impression of a, of a fly? Yes, yeah. That was, I like it was that. Good. that is Nick Richards as a fly. <laughs> <laughs> Vote for Nick, the first insect politician. <laughs> um, the other thing that I'd say about the original is, like, I felt good at the end, and I don't know that I really should have, because the only thing that you could even begin to say that was positive out of this is just that the woman who she had to crush her husband didn't also end up in an asylum, like, that is the only good that came out of this movie. Everything else in this movie was horrible Yeah, Vin, for, for that family. The, the wife lost a husband. Vincent Price lost a brother. And I'm sure his business is going to take a hit from this murder. Right? Um, it was also strange. I, I just need to talk about Vincent Price in this movie for a second. Like I said, I feel like he was, very, he was vastly underused. And a good portion of the movie was realistically just a flashback that Helen was telling him. Like, it was just yeah, him yep. listening to a story. Um, but then, like, I also, like, didn't know what Vincent Price's motivations were. Like, it's like, were, are you hitting on her? Like, <laughs> do you, like, are you trying to, like, take over the family? I was really waiting for, like, Vincent Price versus the fly being like, you yeah, want my yeah. wife, Buzz, and go after <laughs> but him. He, but he had no purpose in this film. No. If, other than loving Vincent Price, if you took him out, it's still the same. You could film. have replaced Vincent Price with a diary and got the same exact film. <laughs> exactly. the The inspector could have been the the that role. Hell, the, even um, the kid be like, "Let me tell you why you can't kill that fly, kid." Yep. <laughs> I thought Vincent Price, like when I saw his name attached to this, I thought he was going That's to be I the man who turned right. into the fly. And then he's not, and you're, you're right, he's underused. I'm like, so I was w- why is he not the main person yeah, in this movie? I was waiting, because like, I didn't, I, you know, I knew the basic plot of these two films, but I watched the, the remake first, because I just wanted something. I didn't want, uh, you know, I wanted something a little more mindless, which, you know, I thought, fuck, let's watch The Fly. <laughs> um, and I was like, I watched that, and I was like, okay. He's like, I got excited. I was like, I want to see Vincent Price play the Seth Brundle character. Like, what's the 1950s version nope. of Cronenberg's Fly? I didn't get that. <laughs> you didn't get that. I also loved how wedged in it always felt when they were trying to, like, explain that this family was French. <laughs> yeah, no one had an accent. No one had an accent, but De then there was this... One weird scene where, like, the kid is drinking wine, and it's like, this is a thing we do. Children <laughs> drink wine. Well, back to the story. <laughs> I remember the wine, because I kept, once again, thinking of The Simpsons. I was thinking of Euro itchy and scratchy land. My kids, they need wine. <laughs> yes. <yep. laughs> uh, 
But no, like honestly, I think the thing that I that I found so impressive about David Cronenberg's remake is, like I said, how he just took he took the story, he took the fly, and he's like, okay, here's everything, and since he just started stripping away everything he didn't think worked or he didn't really want to tell, and you know, Cronenberg is a very sciency fucking dude. All of his films are usually have this little bent of uh, of sci-fi to them, where it's like it's no wonder like you know his favorite part of the film was was uh andre just dictating what he's been doing because like the entire story of the fly is essentially jeff goldblum and gina davis in a room talking about experiments and then recording himself becoming a fly and throwing up on his food it is it's it's interesting that um, I I was it's again because of the order that I watched them and this is probably something that hit me differently. But in watching the original Fly, I was expecting more of the sciency fly monster movie thing, and there really isn't a whole lot of that in there. There's the one like reveal where they pull off the the towel and it's like, oh, he has a fly head. That was awesome, yeah. by the way. It, it, that it was, was such amazing. a deal works. <laughs> Um, and, and, and then I, all, the first time we saw the hand, when he brought the yeah. hand out, I'm like, oh, gross. Yeah, and then her screaming in reaction, that yeah. was just, it was, it was so awesome. A, and I yeah. would almost always err on the show less than, than show too much. So I, I do not disapprove, but it was interesting to see that they're like, okay, I'm going to take the, the very basic one-sentence concept and that thing that they barely showed, and then that's going to be the remake. They didn't remake this film. They took a really simple concept and they made a totally different story out of it. Yeah, honestly, it seems yeah. like, granted, I haven't read it. I'm just going off your description. It seems much more like Metamorphosis than right. than The Fly. Uh, and now I just want to know like what the cockroach cockroach version of this movie would be. And then <laughs> Now you want to read Kafka, yeah. don't you? <laughs> I love this podcast. Want to read Kafka. Is it Kafka-esque? I don't know. Uh, I think it's Kafka-esque, very Kafka-esque. Um, <laughs> But like, uh, and then like, it's just, and I'm always impressed by films that can do a full story in one room because it's a challenge I've never wanted. As a filmmaker myself, it's a challenge. I don't want to fucking write a movie that's all in one, in one location because I just feel like I would run out of shit to do. But there's like these nice little, I say nice in quotation marks, like little moments throughout like that. When he starts doing gymnastics, yeah, or like his, his oh god, that was his good. little like his little <laughs> museum of Seth Brundle that he was collecting, and yep. like yep. honestly, just Jeff Goldblum talking to himself in fly makeup for an hour and a half—that's what this movie is. <laughs> oh, that's this movie works because of Jeff Goldblum. Like you can listen to him say anything for an hour and a half, and you're entertained. As and I love Gina Davis. Like I. She was a huge asset to this story. That's not to say that like Jeff Goldblum stole the show, but I could listen to that man for two hours saying anything, and it would be entertaining. Yeah, <laughs> I agree wholeheartedly. <laughs> agree with that statement. Like, and, and, and that's and like I'm just trying to think. It's like who else was was a big star at this time in the film, or at the time this movie was made, and like I can't imagine anyone else playing it like john lithgow was offered the role of seth brundle and i can't uh, picture that version of the movie interesting yeah he actually turned it down because he said it was too grotesque (laughs) 
Yeah, that, yeah, that's, that sounds about and right. And like, I can't imagine anyone else doing this movie. <laughs> I'm trying to, yeah, I'm trying to think of like who who was big around that time. Let's see, 1986. I mean, we got like you know, you got like Harrison Ford, Bill Murray, and Bill Murray Eddie in this Murphy. movie would have been strange. <laughs> what been? That would have been. <laughs> Though I think I'd have the same opinion of that opening sequence. Yeah, when yeah. he invites her over to his oh, place. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so here's here's the top grossing films of 1986, just so we can get an idea oh, okay. of what this film could have been. Number right. one, Top Gun. A Val, a Val Kilmer okay. could have made this movie work. I Tom Cruise could okay, yeah. <laughs> Um Crocodile Dundee. We could have had a Paul Hogan version oh of God. the. <laughs> <laughs> That's not a fly. This is a fly. And then, and then his face just splits and. He, <laughs> I'm actually kind of into that. Um, Platoon, which had Willem Dafoe, and I could see Willem Dafoe doing this movie. Oh, yeah, Willem Dafoe. Okay, yeah, I could see that. It's a different movie, but it would work. Uh, Karate Kid Part 2, we all want the Ralph Macchio version. (laughs) Oh, God, yeah. Star Trek (laughs) IV, The Voyage Home. Kirk is a fly. Oh, the best one. Back to school. Could have had a Rodney Dangerfield version of The Fly. Oh shit! That would have been a completely different tone. Uh, um, I'm on board with aliens. That. Okay. Uh, the Golden Child, which you know, I think Eddie Murphy could have potentially done this. Eddie Murphy fly could have worked. You know, I'm going back to aliens and Jeff Goldblum and Sigourney Weaver in this era had the exact same haircut. They did. They they did. did. That's a good point. Okay, Sigourney Weaver fly. Which, fun fact: If you look up. Aliens on Wikipedia, and you know how on the side they'll say it's directed by, screenplay by, story by, yada yada yada. Starring, it just says Sigourney Weaver. There's no one else in the movie. As it should be. (laughs) And then uh, uh, some movie called Ruthless People, and then Ferris Bueller's Day Off. So I don't. I still stand by. I can't imagine anyone at this time making the fly work. Like you know, especially as well as uh, Goldblum did. Yeah. Yeah. Like he's yeah. he's he's kind of like perfect for this film, and I know like um, for a lot of people, the um, you know Jurassic Park is a quintessential Jeff Goldblum. But like, I I, I I love Jurassic Park, but I've really enjoyed over the last couple of years just really seeing him act. Yeah, like back when he was younger, like movies like The Big Chill, and um, and you know when he was you know not doing the big film. I don't know. That's that's kind of what I've been enjoying because like I'll tell people, yeah. I was like, you know, Jeff Goldblum could act. And they're like, what? No. Like, yeah, he used to be really fucking good. Yeah, he's he's great, and then he just became so popular. He and became the walking meme. He did <laughs> yeah, really? <laughs> oh, yeah. Anything else you guys wanted to talk about? Let's see. I think I covered my notes from the first one. Uh, Any hot takes from uh, the next one? Come on, Nick. You know you got another hot take sitting in there, sitting in the chamber. <laughs> Oh, uh, back to the protagonist thing. In this one, the protagonist becomes the antagonist. The person moving the story forward becomes the one standing in the way. I also Um, wonder, too, if if, if there was some unintentional Quasimodo vibes going with the making of Cronenberg's fly. Brundlefly. Yeah. Brendel fly. I liked his line, uh, computers are dumb, they only know what you tell them. 
<laughs> and then the computers got got him back in the end. Oh yeah. Like, how dare you call us dumb? We're gonna fuck you over. <laughs> it's almost as good um, as your take, Nick, of the that horses are the real enemy of Gone with the Wind. <laughs> they killed so many horses in that movie. <laughs> I'm pretty sure at one point every just tragedy in that film was based around horses. <laughs> you go back, you watch Gone with the Wind, and tell me uh, that they treated horses fairly. <laughs> um, the I think the way that I'll end it, based uh, an equally as insightful opinion, is that I just really liked in the first one how. Like, and it was true of any science movie in this era when, like, they had computers and they're, like, you know, the computers of that era was a wall of these giant machines with tapes spinning. And every Love time it. they did the transportation, it's like, okay, I turn the knob and then we watch the lights go bloop, bloop, bloop. And, it was and always then we the go to the other panel that goes over and over again. And then, and then some water goes, you know, uh, what are those, um, Jacob's ladders. Yeah. <laughs> I love sciencey shit in old movies. I love it. I thought you were anti lab coat porn. Uh, this doesn't count as lab coat porn. Lab corp. Lab he coat. He was porn? wearing a lab coat. Okay. Yes. However, my <laughs> traditional gen. I think. Uh, what? Okay. I guess I should specify. I like the weird gothic horror version of of sciencey bullshit, like Frankenstein stuff that you know with lots of lightning and shit like that. Um, usually, because normally, lab coat porn, my definition, uh, is movies where there is not much sciencey stuff going on. It's just dudes in lab coats walking around pretending sciencey stuff's going on. They'll go push a button and everything will be done. You won't get any montage stuff. I don't think I've seen enough of that, so the only reference that I can, like, summon when you describe that is, like, Godzilla movies. Kind of, yeah. And I love Godzilla okay. movies, but that's my least yeah. favorite aspect of them. Um, but it's, like, five guys in lab coats and clipboards standing around and going, oh, here's what we need to do. Go watch then... any mystery science theater movie that has, <laughs> that has, has scientists Santa in Claus it. Santa Claus versus the Martian. That has scientists in it, and that's pretty much what I'm, what I'm describing. But I will say, the first time we got to see all that stuff, I'm like, oh, this is kind of cool. And then the <laughs> yeah. second time and third time, I'm like, it's less cool. We're kind of padding <laughs> I agree with that though, because I, I thought I was I was very like blown away by the effects they were using. But then yeah, by the third time you're like, all right, maybe we could have used like a different angle right. or something. It's, you know, uh, it's just, just do something else. We yeah, do something we pay else. Pay for this? We're gonna get our use out of it. It's like Lloyd Kaufman. <laughs> That's true. It's the fifties. Lloyd Kaufman paid good money to have a car flip uh, in Sergeant Kabuki Man NYPD, and he uses it in every movie since. <laughs> Hey man, he he, works, he got you know? his money's worth on that effect. <laughs> Hell yeah! <laughs> so I think the real takeaway from this episode is that secretly, Michael actually really enjoys lab coat porn. <laughs> mm, okay, maybe, maybe, as long it's as it doesn't overstay its welcome. <laughs> uh, after ten fifteen minutes, you'll be done. Yeah, yeah. It's it, you know you, you don't need too many money shots. <laughs> <laughs> shenanigans Austin was there anything else you wanted uh, to say about The Fly before we we, we switched talked about a bunch of other movies yeah <laughs> yeah um, I just I mean I just again I'm, I'm gonna go back to what I said about just like I like how they were so similar yet so different because 
You have uh, in the Cronenberg movie, they're very, you know, Brundle's very focused on getting this right and doing a series of tests and tests to try to go through the telepods. And they and kind killed of killed a monkey. And, and yeah, and killed, was... yeah, graphically killed that poor monkey, uh, which was very rude. <laughs> um, but in the, in the original, they seem, he seems to get the transfer or the, uh, uh, what the hell is the, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, Teleportation te- yeah. down a bit quicker. And then he's living with, oh, I'm this monster. I need to change myself back. You have to find that fly. And he's, ha- he has to communicate through the typewriter and slipping her notes. And it's very, it's just very more, much more mysterious than the Cronenberg one. Cause like you said, it's kind of mindless. You can put that on, not really pay attention to it, and have a good time with the remake. But, you know, there is a little bit more going on, I'd say, story-wise with the original that I quite enjoyed. And it's typically stuff I don't really like, like the ending. Typically, I'm not really a fan of that kind of ending or or the flashback uh, that that is the whole movie is essentially one flashback. For some reason, it just worked, yeah. and I really enjoyed it. Um, and I just, I just really, I enjoyed them both very well. I think I enjoyed the Cronenberg one just a little bit more because it's the perfect example of what a remake should be because you're not trying to do it shot for shot. You're not trying to go in a completely different direction. You're keeping the beats of the main part of the story alive and adding what you liked about that original movie and kind of fleshing it out a little bit more. Um, I guess I kind of have a hot take on re- uh, remakes because I feel Evil Dead does the same thing. I really, really like the Evil Dead remake, and I know most people oh, I don't. I love it. But, but I feel like they took what the original was and then just made it super gory and just like took what they liked from the original to make it a uh, like you know kind of a different movie. But these are both very enjoyable, like I said, and I, I was I, I liked the original a lot more than I really thought I was going to because of uh, just how they portrayed the story. So. Um, all in all, fantastic films. You know what I found interesting about the original is so little actually happens in that movie. Like, there's... Like, if you went down and just kind of outlined the plot points, you would not have very many bullets. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I was... Even though it was simple, and I, I would argue relatively calm most of the movie... I was I, surprisingly, and in a way that I can't explain, I wasn't bored. Like I'm surprised that I wasn't bored by this movie right. because I so little way, is yeah. happening. Yeah, um, mm-hmm. I can't point to something and be like, "Oh, here's where I lost interest." I was captivated the whole time in, in a, I, I was a bit in a trance from it in a positive way. It, they did something magical there that I can't put my finger on. Yeah, it just it just worked, yeah. really. It just it worked. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, and it's it's honestly not the both ver- like I said both versions were not the versions of the films that I was expecting. Uh and <laughs> the remake was not what like I can't say the remake wasn't what I was expecting cuz it's, you know, I watched them in reverse order, but it's like watching that original film was like, "Huh, I don't know if that's the way I would have went with this film." remaking it honestly like my dream version of this film would have been the fly would have been an like an hour and a half long version of columbo and it would have been peter falk trying to like figure out what happened i would watch the fuck out of that (laughs) lieutenant lieutenant is this where he works yes it is just wonderful marvelous office Yes, it is. Spacious. Yes, it is. Conference room? Yes, it is. Very handy, isn't it? Yes, 
It is. Wonderful. I mean everything, the decor, the paneling, I'm the glad windows. you like it, Lieutenant. Uh, but really, Mr. Markham doesn't permit anyone in his office. He likes music. Uh, yes. Has it right here in the office, huh? Yes, he does. Plays it while he's designing. Classical stuff? Uh-huh. My favorite, Jess. Love it. And I have to meet someone for dinner. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to hold you up like that. Forgive me. It's just when I start hearing this stuff, I could just listen for hours. I'm sorry. Yes. Well, if there's nothing else. No, I don't think there's anything else. Thank you very much. Good night. Good night. What happened here? An accident. <laughs> like, you, you just cast, cast Peter Falk as the inspector, get rid of the Vincent Price character? You know what? I'm sure it's nothing. Ah, uh, but there's just one more thing that's bothering me. It just Why doesn't was his sense. head he and his said, hand crushed? It's it's a funny thing. These little details, they just they just they stick just out stick in my mind. And I I just ah, I'm sure it's nothing. You go about your day. I'll see. That's fine. <laughs> and then now you're just gonna be thinking about the Peter Falk version. <laughs> yep. <of the> fly. <laughs> With Sidorney Weaver as the scientist. Yep. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Uh. how's the city (laughs) Um, right. so should we talk about some other things yeah 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 so um, just so we don't go too late I figured me me and Austin could both talk about one but you guys get to pick which one you get one you guys get to pick everybody gets one you guys get to pick which one I talk about we can either continue with the insect theme and I can talk about ticks Ticks. There's a 4K of ticks. Yeah. Are you serious? Ticks. What? Oh god, I gotta put that in my cart. I don't even want to hear what the second option is. I want to hear about ticks. Yeah. Okay. I just want to. I just want to say this one because I want to get Nick's reaction to how absurd this name is. Okay. So this next one, and also just because ticks. Just mainly because like not only is this this next one absurd. But then just how nice of the packaging is considering how absurd oh, it is. Okay. This next movie is called Phantom of the Mall. <gasps> Eric's oh, Revenge. Hero, yes. <laughs> I don't know who Eric is. So that's but the funny at some thing about it. It's like, it to, sounds I, like a sequel. Phantom of the Mall. Yeah. And there's a great theme song by the punk band The Vandals. Eric's Pissed. <laughs> so nice. I think you guys have decided ticks. T- We're going with ticks. Every time I, I have to say it that way. As someone with Lyme's disease, this sounds horrifying. Oh, then you're going to love this movie. So, okay, we're going to talk about ticks. All right. Give me one second. I just want to... I just want... I always like having the cast up when I when I pull up the film. Anyways. So, I'm talking about ticks. Ticks. So, back of the box for ticks. It says... An assortment of unruly misfit teens have all been forced to attend camp at a wildlife preserve to commune with nature. What they don't realize is that nearby in the woods, an illicit marijuana growing operation is underway, (gasps) and the weed farmers have been using pesticide, which has had one very unintended side effects. It's turning ordinary ticks into giant, ravenous bloodsuckers. One of the quintessential creature features of the early 90s, Tony Randall's 
ticks pays loving tribute to 1950s giant monster tony randall who directed hell hellbound hellraiser 2 and amityville it's about time (laughs) which is one of my favorite titles of all time it's about time it tells you what the movie's about (laughs) (laughs) i think you've killed nick oh god oh what's that what's that amityville movie about i had to take my headphones out what's that new amityville movie about it's about time it's about time travel <laughs> Ticks pays loving tribute to 1950s giant monster movies updating the formula by adding copious amounts of slime and heavily increased bloodshed starring Seth Green Alfonso, Seth Re- Green. Alfonso yeah, Rivero this, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Rosalind <laughs> Allen and a very <laughs> memorable performance by Clint Howard Vinegar Syndrome presents Tex <laughs> to 4K UHD for the very first time in a never-before-seen extended version featuring Ooh. comprehensive interviews and commentaries with the film's key creators, including producer Brian Usna and Tex creator and effects supervisor <laughs> does Bestwick. Or Bestwick! Bestwick! <laughs> <laughs> So this was actually on my uh, 31 days of horror for uh, this year. Nice. I did an all 90s 31 days of horror and I, I watched this one. It was awesome. I loved it. And I have to get that 4K because I couldn't find it anywhere. Is that like, did that just get released? Uh, let's find out. Yeah, because I, I, I looked for it to buy the Blu-ray because I was like, it's a it's a it's a movie about TX from the 90s. I got to have it like I need it. And I couldn't find it on uh, on the uh, Amazon. Well, you, so. you should probably go through vinegar syndrome dot com. I should probably do that. It I'll is do that. right now on sale for $37.99. Normally, done. Michael, looks like you're getting two 32 cent checks. <laughs> Wait, what was the other one? We talked about this at the beginning. I already, I, I tried, I typed in vinegar syndrome on Amazon and that Hell did not get the result that I Frog wanted. Town. Hell comes to Frogtown. There we go. Okay. They also have another movie called Blades, which is about a killer lawnmower. <laughs> okay, getting that one too. <laughs> you got. It's so it's so funny that you just said that because we just did an episode on inanimate horror, like you know, uh, uh, killer genes and something it was else. Meant to be. So, anyways, Ticks is, oh. is a Ticks is a direct to video <laughs> horror film from the from the nineties, also known as Infested, which is great because Clint Howard actually has a line at one point where he just screams at the camera. He goes, "I'm infested," and then like <laughs> it, it, like he has like this thing that bursts into the woman's face. It's it's disgusting. Yeah. It is awesome. So, as, as the back of the box said, Tix is about, <laughs> I can't do it over and over again, is about a group of, of at is like troubled teenagers who have to go to uh, commune with nature. It's very much like Friday the 13th, part five in that way. And Seth Green, um, he has some phobias about being in the woods. His father, who is a drunk, left him in the woods for like three days as a child, and he struggled to get out. So, he's really like fucking not sure about going to the woods. But, you know, he's he's a very able-minded kid and wants to do the best. And what I actually kind of like about this film is normally you have, like, these bo- these body count movies and you have people who are, like, all friends. None of these people know each other. So it's like there's always, there's kind of, like, some tension. Carlton plays, like, a thug, but, like, not really. Um, he has got this great name. His name is Panic. And his name is Panic because he never does. Oh, uh, yeah. But, but like he actually that. gives a really yep. kind of amazingly grounded performance later on in the movie and has like the most heartbreaking scene. Spoiler, when his dog dies, 
it's it it breaks my heart because like, okay. he is he's actually really good in this movie. Um oh. but so you know the story is less important. You know, these kids are going out to this woods to like commune of nature and to learn to be better people. But as I said, there's there's a weed farming operation going and the pesticides they're using has as a really dangerous effect on the ticks where they become like this fucking big and they scurry across the ground. And and as they bite you, they they actually they scurry into your skin and they infest you and they explode out of all your porpoises and shit. And there's porpoise. I don't know if that's a word. Porpoise. I assure you, all of your dolphins. I assure you, it's a word. Not the just not the one you were looking for. Pores. 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 Although I will always say that now. Yeah. My porpoises. <laughs> my porpoises. My porpoises are infested <laughs> with ticks. Ticks. <laughs> so they get fucking huge. And it just becomes this movie, this survival movie. Uh, very low budget, but in a very charming way. Like near the end of the film, they actually have this great scene where the f- forest is fucking on fire. And they, they intercut between miniatures in a really interesting way. Um uh, does the weed farm go up? Oh yes, yes it does. And then like they have like almost like this little Night of the Living Dead scene where the weed farmers who beat the shit out of Carlton's character and left him for dead are in the house with the people who are trying to survive, and then it becomes them versus the ticks, and just chaos ensues. At one point, once again, spoilers if you haven't seen ticks. Uh, the ticks infest Carlton's body, and he explodes and becomes a human-sized fucking tick. It was it was surprising. I didn't it expect. W- yeah, I didn't fucking. No, it's, no, no, no. If you want, uh, if you want a movie that's got. Seth Green fighting off against monsters with a shotgun. If you want a movie that's got Clint Howard saying, I'm infested and is blowing up. If you want rapey, deranged weed farmers who get their comeuppance. If you want kids who, you know, troubled youth who have to survive in the woods and really don't like being out in the woods and one kid never wears a shirt. If you want ticks, this is the movie for you. So I love how you're like, if you want X, then you'll want this. And your list of those things were things that no one would want. I think I think everyone listening to this is going to go buy ticks because of that list. Um, uh, that's a ringing endorsement yeah. for so sure. A, as for Austin sure. pointed out, this is a 4K UHD release of ticks. Um Really good-looking transfer to it. Uh, I'm going to get a little nerdy and in inside baseball here for a moment. Uh, transfer on this film was really good, considering it was made off of an interpositive. An interpositive is part of the filmmaking process. It just really has one job. It's there to make it internegative. Uh, it's not really used for presentation in any way, shape, or form, but it's it, and it doesn't give you as good of clarity as like an actual original film negative does, but it's still really good-looking. It's I, w- I didn't notice any real issues with it being too soft which you can sometimes get when you use an interpositive but i was really impressed by the hdr 10 grade on the film because it added a lot of color but it never affected this the uh, skin tones which sometimes they can um and it just it just kind of breathed new life into this movie that whenever i was like i, I looked up pictures of it and it just often looked kind of drab um it added a lot of color without it making it seem like it was candy coated um 
if candy I, coated tits. Yeah. If I had any complaints, I feel like at times there was a little bit of black crush going on, which could be a combination of the HDR grade as well as the fact that this is a new extended cut. And depending on what the source was like for some of those added scenes, it just seemed a little dark at times, but not enough to ruin the enjoyment of the film. Uh, and actually, the film had a as a really pleasing stereo mix doesn't you know it's just it it just adds a lot of depth to the music and the music's actually quite a bit of fun in this movie uh so i was really happy with the color grade on this audio like i said is is is, if i had any complaints there's times playing through my speakers it felt a little on the high end like there was a little bit of uh uh, uh, some of the musical notes screeched a little bit more than they could have but once again it's an old film print it's cleaned up quite a bit uh just some of the high notes felt a little like ooh, gotta turn it down a touch uh, yeah. black crush sounds like a hipster cocktail made out of squid ink <laughs> hey who's stopping you who's stopping you uh, and special features are really good. It's short. There weren't, weren't many, but there is a... It's called Under the Skin, The Making of Tex, an extended three-part <laughs> making of documentary with Tony Randall, actress Rosalind Allen, and special effects super, supervisor Doug Bess, Besswick uh, and a bunch of other people. And you said that was an extended Yeah, cut? I think it's only by like On maybe that? three, four, five minutes. Not very okay. long. It's just extra... Not too much. Extra gross-out Tex action. <laughs> Yeah, that's what, that's what I'm Dex. talking about. Dex. <laughs> so Austin, you got one, and then I'm gonna I gotta go find some dinner. All right, uh, you guys get to pick as well. I've got I mean I've got five over here, Ooh. but I'll, I'll pick the I'll pick two that I think have the coolest names and coolest right. art. Are any so the first one related? I f- I fucking wish. <laughs> God damn I really it. wish, but they're I know. I'm sorry. I'm looking back now. <laughs> damn it! I wish. Um, so I've got Dead End Drive End. Okay. Okay. That was actually the Arrow first release. ever Arrow title Amanda bought for me. It was a Christmas gift. Oh. And then Jesus Shows You the Way to the Highway. That one. That one. That <laughs> yeah, one. the, the title right. sells it. Uh, yeah, I haven't. Uh, Dead End Drive End I like quite a, a bit, but Jesus Shows You the Way to the Highway. That sounds like, some, like... That sounds like some cold-blooded shit you'd say to someone before you cap them. Jesus will show you the way to the highway. <laughs> or, or it's Fade or it's a five minute film where a guy named Jesus is working at a convenience store and he's like, Hey, I think I got off at the wrong exit. How do I get back? Oh Hey, what you want to do is get on three oh four, head back. It also left. sounds like it could be a potentially religious gay porn. Yeah, <laughs> it's a lot. The, the possibilities are endless with the title like this. Uh, I got five blind buys from Arrow when they did their like Shocktober sale, and I saw this one. Saw it had a three point three on Letterbox, and I'm hey, like, "That's all the information I need." Stars, I'll probably watch. <laughs> exactly. All right, so I'll read you what's on the back of the Blu-ray here. It says the year is 2035, and Special Agent Gagano. Dreams of leaving the CIA to open a business with his wife, Malin. Before he can hand in his registration, however, a strange cyber virus attacks PsychoBook, the CIA's operating system, forcing Gagano to enter cyberspace via virtual reality to combat the threat. Before long, however, the virus starts to reach out into the real world, disestablishing the fragile socio-political order for its own ends, and Gagano, trapped in the VR world, must find his way out before it's too late. I'm sorry, what did the CIA (laughs) name their operating system? 
Psycho book. That seems a little off-brand for the CIA. Psycho book. <laughs> and that is the only problem that I had with that. I also have to. I love um, that you know they went with the they went with the book theme. You know, Facebook. Yeah. Even before is a thing. Psycho book. Yeah, this came out in 2019. Oh, oh so no, that, that, that wasn't uh, unintentional at all. So this is. So, uh, and then it says, featuring encounters with an Irish accent, accented Joseph Stalin, a kung fu fighting Batman, and Jesus Christ himself, to name a few. Jesus shows you the way to the highway as absurd, audacious, and like nothing you've experienced before. I mean, literally, it's got, it's got, I think that's supposed to be right there. I think that's supposed to be Joseph Stalin yeah. right there. I do believe you've got some uh, USSR uh, sides or whatever that yeah. shit is back there. And then, uh, yeah, a whole bunch. Of, oh, there's oh, there's Kung Fu Fighting Batman right there in the middle. I didn't even <laughs> oh, see that. Oh, it's like there he is right there. Like the Adam school. West Batman. Yeah, Adam West. Adam Wee. Adam Wee. Oh, did we just lose? We uh, did. We just lose Mike. I think he was like, "Fuck you guys, I'm done with this," and left us. <laughs> oh, uh, oh no, he oh, accidentally <laughs> hit the back button. My mistake. <laughs> I was like, "Oh shit, what did I say?" <laughs> Fuck this, I'm done. How dare you? That's what <laughs> you know. You never say Adam West's name on this podcast. Adam West. Oh, I actually reviewed a movie of Adam West not too long ago called Hell Riders, which was Ooh. Adam West in his, you know, Adam West in the eighties, uh, fighting off against a gang of rapey gang uh, bikers. It was terrible. Oh wow! If you what year was that from? Adam West something? in the eighties. And rapey biters, then that movie's for you. <laughs> he wears like a really lame baseball cap the entire time and a tracksuit. And I think that's just how he showed up to set. They, they worked it I'm into, here. Like, this is, this is what they worked doing. it into the story that he like jogs or whatever. But I think he just showed up like that. And like, I, I, I don't do a costume change, baby. It's not my contract. <laughs> oh, I was thinking it was more of, all right, I'm ready for costuming. And they're like, yeah, we don't have costumes for that. <laughs> I just I just think of like Beetle you, you, you I just got think this. of Beetle, Beetlejuice that's why I don't do two shows a night thank you thank you Woo. that is why I won't do two shows a night anymore babe I won't I won't do <laughs> wow <laughs> alright so yeah you have to watch that um and when are you gonna do this one? You gonna when are you gonna post or when are you gonna edit and post? Well, I'm gonna try to edit it this week. I also have an, I have a music video I also have to cut together. So, um, but I have a bonus episode I need to cut together first, where me and another podcaster talk about the new James Bond film. Um, Ooh, nice. And then this will probably be after that. I still have to figure out a Patreon what? episode too. There's a lot of fucking we're, shit up. We're in a here. little behind right now, which is fine. Yeah. <laughs> and then we and Nick have to plan for our epic Christmas episode. Is this going to be finally the year where I actually see Die Hard? Who knows? Wait a minute, you haven't seen Die Hard? No. Oh well, now oh, wow. okay, we're doing Die Hard. We just picked. <laughs> I've up seen bits and pieces to, uh, of it, but out. I never watched yeah. it all the way through. Okay, we're doing Die Hard this year. All right, so we're going to finally settle as Die Hard a Christmas movie. Oh no, I did, that'll never be settled. <laughs> but I do have very firm opinions on it, which we will. Wait, are you find are out. you for the Christmas thing or against You're it? You're going to have to listen in to find out. Oh, okay. All right, and I like it. One last I'll recommendation listen. before we, we, we end the night, because, Nick, we started the episode by talking about Love Actually, and now we're ending it talking about Die Hard. Yes. There is actually a new movie on Netflix that I actually quite enjoyed, because I... Love Hard. Love Hard. And it was fantastic. Yes. <laughs> I, am a, I am a sucker for romantic comedies, and I'm also yep. a sucker for bad Christmas movies. 
but I love good Christmas movies. There is a romantic comedy from this year called Love Hard, named after, because the two lead characters argue about what their favorite Christmas movie is. One character loves Love Actually, the other one loves Die Hard. Directed by Hernan Jimenez, Jimenez, uh, produced by Mick G, (laughs) and stars Nina Dobrev, Jimmy O. Yang, and Darren Barnett. It's, It's delightful. It's, you know... Jimmy O. Yang's yeah. in that. Oh, he's, yeah, he's hysterical. Great. It's you know, it's okay. it's 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 a catfish movie. It's a movie about you know this this girl who falls for this dude online, uh, and he's too perfect to be true. And she decides to fly her happy ass to New York to surprise him. And she's been catfished the entire time, and she can't get home, so she kind of has to stick with this dude. <laughs> oh, oh shit. <laughs> okay. Is that like a Netflix yeah, original yeah. or something? Yes. Yeah. We watched okay. it the other night. It was delightful. Uh, I'll have to put that on. Very good. I'll have to put is that it on. Ticks? Actually, no, but it's delightful. <laughs> ticks! I actually really liked how they resolved the catfishing thing. Yeah. Uh, how they, uh, how it investigated or explored like all of our insecurities and in relationships. I think they did a really good job of that and didn't. It, they made everybody seem very human, and like by the end, like nobody felt like the bad guy. Yeah, me and Nick both love. Well, I, I think Nick loves romantic comedies as much as I do, but me and Nick both love Christmas movies, so this is right up our alley. Yeah, yeah. My wife's been getting me into just random ones that she's been putting on, and I'm like, okay, I guess I'm into like rom coms yep. now. Never been a thing I'm <laughs> into, but I'm finding myself uh, watching them and enjoying them uh, against here's, my will. I don't know. It's crazy. Here's the thing: a good movie is a good movie. Yeah. And we That's all have fact, our yeah. we all have our favorite genres and when, things, when, but like when a movie's entertaining and made well, like earlier this year, I had COVID, yeah. so I was I stayed home, uh, and Amanda stayed home with me, and we just worked through romantic comedies. Like we watched Joe versus the Volcano, which is not really a romantic comedy, but it had Meg <laughs> Ryan and Tom Hanks. We thought sure. We watched uh, yep. you know, Sleepless in Seattle. We watched You've Got Mail. You know. Basically everything with Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan. Pretty much. Meg Ryan is fucking delightful. <laughs> she is. She is. You know, what a change oh, from Ticks. <laughs> Ticks. We went all over the map on this episode, and I love yeah. it. Yeah. All like right. It. Was there anything else you guys want to talk about? If not, uh, then so. Austin, you should tell people where to find you, where to find the podcast. Oh, boy. All right. You can find us on Facebook. Uh, we're just, just Frightmares. Instagram, Frightmares Podcast. Slasher at Frightmares Podcast. Uh, Twitter, we are Frightmares underscore pod. Uh, Outlook, or stayspooky at Outlook.com is my email. You can follow me on Letterboxd. I believe it's Dr. Proctor. You can see what I'm watching. I literally log everything I ever watch. I wish I did that. You can also get a hint. (laughs) I wish I did that. I try really hard, (laughs) and I log like a tenth of what I'm honestly obsessed with it. Like, I I, I just, I I I like logging things. So, like, I'll intentionally watch, like, like old silent shorts just because like, oh they're not going to add more stuff <laughs> then i didn't know that's <laughs> <sighs> oh, so yeah right. um you can always get a hint at what we're going to do on the podcast by checking out the uh the letterbox so um awesome. and like i said i literally log everything and we'll have to uh since i've been on frightmares we'll have to work it out where you can get nick on frightmares and i think we worked that out we're gonna look at january where um we'll yes. be t- whenever we get the opportunity to record it, we'll be talking about the prestige. Ooh, that's a good one. All right, guess that's hard out. That's a different podcast, right? Yeah, yeah, yep. What? Okay, I'm sorry. So that's hard out, not frightmares. But oh yeah, yeah, we'll we'll pick something. We'll pick something cool. good. 
We'll kick around some ideas. We'll get we'll get a random horror movie that we we can do a thing where it's like on all of our shameless like like the fly that yep. the original fly was apparently something we had not all seen. So we can do something like yep, that. When, we, when, have we seen this? When note? I was on with uh with Austin, we did uh Roman Polanski's Repulsion and Night of the Living Dead, and that's when I got him obsessed yep. with the Criterion Collection. Nice. Oh yeah, dude. Oh yeah, and then Repulsion. Oh my god, that was such a fantastic movie. Holy cow. That was a good so, one. But and you can find the podcast pretty much everywhere you can listen to podcasts. I think we actually just got on Amazon Podcast and Audible, which oh, is weird that their own Audible is owned by Amazon. It's weird that they do both, but whatever. We're on both <laughs> of those. We're everywhere. We're on Spotify. We got Patreon. I not very. I'm not the best. Remember to put shit up. But to be honest with you, I don't know if you guys are even listening. Even <laughs> the people who are giving us money, I'm fine with it. But, but we'd please, rather have you listen. I need people to tell me to put shit out. If you're listening and you're like, where's the new Patreon? Fucking tell me. <laughs> uh, so we're on Patreon. We are on Instagram at Shameless Picture Show. We are on Facebook at Shameless Picture Show. We are on Twitter at Shameless Pod. Uh, you can find me on Letterboxd. You can find me on Instagram. You can find me pretty much everywhere. Just Michael Vyers or Michael underscore Vyers. Some variation of that. Nick is fucking nowhere. He has gone off I, of social media, so don't I even have, try looking. I've, what? I've, I am on Letterboxd, and that's it. <laughs> so that's it. I got to follow you on Letterboxd. <laughs> and the Shameless Picture Show is on Letterboxd, but I'm about three months behind on yep. updating. And but you can see our backlog. We went through and, and yeah, put Yeah, I did backlog. for like a... It's a lot of work to do. It is. <laughs> oh, and we have a break. we have a website, shamelesspictureshow.com, which was made yes. by, made by my beautiful and talented wife Amanda. Uh, it and looks amazing. As it, as as episodes go up, we will keep that updated. Um, and uh, if you're not down with that, I got two words for you, Nick. What's that? Watch, Watch movies. movies. <laughs> that was real. <laughs> that, that was we'll we'll make it work in in post. <laughs> Fix it in post. <laughs> The Shameless Picture Show is recorded in Milwaukee, Wisconsin and Easton, Maryland, and is hosted and produced by Nick Richards and Michael Byers. Today's episode was edited by Nick Richards. Our opening theme music was written especially for us by The Directionals, with narration by Zach McLean. The end credit music you're enjoying at the moment was generously provided by my friends in the band 10 Speed. The Shameless graphic design is masterfully done by Amanda Byers. An extra special thank you to all of our Patreon supporters and to our generous sponsors. We are on Spotify, Stitcher Radio, iTunes, Google Play, and Libsyn. You can find links for all these amazing people in the description below.